0: Well, good morning, Bayshore, and I am so glad that you're joining me today, and uh, we just love you guys, missing you, and I'm in the studio in our auditorium at Millsboro with uh, what I call the Ofra Winfrey Recording uh, Group. Man, they're doing an incredible job, so so glad you guys are uh, with us today, and uh, hope you had a great week, and we're very excited about the future here at Bayshore and what God has for all of us together as we serve the Lord together, so hope you had a great week. We're in a series called The Waiting Game, and we've been talking about waiting. And I think because of COVID-19, we're all really thinking about waiting. We're doing a lot of waiting and trying to figure out when we're going to get back to normal, when things are going to be normal again. So I think the waiting game is just like so appropriate for me and for all of us as we go through this time. I was thinking about waiting, how you know, we wait for you know, important things and we wait for unimportant things. And when you think about waiting, I think there's like some things that, that we wait for that really aren't that big a deal, you know? We're just not that really, it's not, it doesn't make that much difference. And then other things that are big deals that we have to wait for. How about this? I, I read just this last week that the average waiting time to get into the emergency room, once you get to the emergency room, uh, the average waiting time before you see a doctor is four hours and seven minutes hey, man, I wonder if we forgot what the concept of emergency room is. But maybe you've been in the emergency room and waiting before. But you know, a lot of things we wait for aren't really, really important things. Not like waiting to see a doctor in the emergency room. Uh, My wife, Karen, her uh, her and her sister, Barbara, recently went shopping at the Burlington Coat Factory in Salisbury. And uh, it just opened up after, you know, COVID and they were able to go shopping. And they had some great deals at Burlington uh, Code Factory, and so they shopped for a while. And then they stood in line. They stood in line. Now, how many of you uh, have ever stood in line for two and a half hours to get to a register? Maybe, maybe you haven't, but my wife Karen and her sister Barbara stood in line for two and a half hours. No, they weren't just shopping for two and a half hours. It, they were waiting in line with their stuff. Uh, at Burlington Coat Factory, you know that's an interesting uh, way. You know, I was—I told her I said, you know, that's just—you know, that's just forever. I don't think I would ever, you know, wait two and a half hours in a line to go shopping or whatever, you know. But she said, well, you sit out in the woods and go hunting for six hours in the rain, or you go fishing. So I guess it's you know your your preference thing. But you know, sometimes we wait for things that aren't that important. I remember a few years ago, uh, Karen uh, was she was away, and actually it was really. Uh, I was kind of glad she went away. I'm not normally glad that she goes away, but uh, I wanted to see this movie called The American Sniper. And uh, it was coming up, they were promoting it, and it was going to be, it was a Clint Eastwood movie, and I knew it was going to be a great movie, but I knew it was one of those movies Karen wouldn't want to see. It's about Chris Kyle, the uh, most famous uh, sniper in American history. Not a very edifying movie, but I really wanted to see this movie. So it just so happened that the weekend that the movie came out, that Karen was away, and so I had sort of a man weekend, I was all by myself, and so I got all my work done on Saturday, and uh, finished my sermon prep, and about six o'clock I jumped in the car and drove uh, to Midway Theater and, in Rehoboth, and I think there was a movie playing at 6.40, and I was all excited, and I got there, I maybe I left a little bit before six, because I got there like 20 after six, and I stood in line, I stood in line for like 15 minutes to get tickets to this movie. And right in front of me, before I got my ticket, there was, uh, the lady said that they were sold out of the tickets for the American Sniper. Man, I was so bummed out. Then I had this thought. I thought, well, maybe, you know, I don't need to get a ticket to the American Sniper. All I need to do is get a ticket to get in the theater and maybe I can find a seat. In the movie. And so it's not my best moment. I'll just have to admit it's not my best moment. But anyhow, I I got a ticket for another movie and then I went to the American Sniper movie and it was packed, but there was one seat. One seat right on the fourth row, on the end uh, of the fourth row, and it was a perfect seat. And I got to watch this movie about uh, Chris Kyle, the American sniper, and his three tours in Iraq. And it was just really, really an incredible movie. I felt so bad the whole time for that one guy standing against the wall, though. You know, it just felt so bad for him. But uh, anyhow, listen, sometimes we wait for things that just don't matter that much. They're They're not that important. But then there's other things that are really important that we wait for. You know, maybe, you know, you're waiting to adopt a child or have a child. I know uh, throughout our history, uh, Karen and I pastoring here at Bayshore, we've had many couples that have adopted children, uh, both on staff and also members of our congregation, and they've had to wait, and it's a very complicated system, and they've waited Maybe that's you or maybe you've been waiting for you know, something to happen with your, with your job or something to happen with you. You've got a child, an adult child that's not walking with the Lord. You've been praying and, and uh, you're waiting for them to come back to faith. Or maybe you know, you're just kind of an emotional kind of wreck and you want to feel better and you're waiting to feel better. So some things that we wait for are very important and some things that we wait for aren't that important. So I was thinking about, you know, uh, people that are waiting for important things. And I thought about this guy in the Bible, this prophet. uh, His name was Elijah, and he lived in the 8th century B.C. That means he was, uh, you know, some 700, 800 years before Christ came on the earth. And he was was a prophet, and he spoke to this uh, king by the name of Ahab. Ahab was a very wicked king. And so he spoke to this king, and he said, it's not going to rain it's not going to rain for three years except at my word. Now he had to wait for three years for it to rain. And I want to read you his story. It's a great story. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. uh, And actually part of the story is in chapter 16 at the end. And let me just set the story up about this king. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33, we get sort of the idea of how this king, how it came about. It says in 1 Kings 16:29 in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Israel uh, in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made an Asherah pole, which was the wife of Baal, actually, in the Canaanite uh, goddess system, or God system, uh, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings before him. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 17. We meet Elijah. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So what an interesting story. New king, his name is Ahab. Uh, The Bible just gives him this blanket kind of tag, wicked king, most wicked king that Israel's ever had. And what made him so wicked was, was that he set up a temple to this rival God, this Canaanite God by the name of Baal. And uh, he made, he worshipped Baal, and then all the nation sort of followed Ahab's influence and worshipped Baal. So Ahab is responsible. He's responsible to influence the whole nation away from Yahweh God, who they were called to worship. He influenced the whole nation away from Jehovah God, Yahweh, and they began to worship Baal. And so Elijah, this kind of burly prophet, he comes in, and he prophesies that it's not going to rain, except at my word. Now, why is that significant? You know, why didn't God just like kind of smite Ahab or why didn't he do something else? Why did he say it's not going to rain? Interesting little uh, piece of uh, history about the story. Baal, the Canaanite god Baal, was the god of rain and storm. In fact, we found some figurines of Baal uh, in archaeology, and he's holding a lightning bolt. So this is the God that the Canaanites worshiped that made it rain. And so Elijah comes and says, it's not going to rain except at my word. And what an incredible uh, parallel there. So what God is really showing through Elijah the prophet is, you think Baal is going to meet all your needs? You think Baal is the one that takes care of you? You think Baal is the one that makes it rain? I'm going to send my prophet and my prophet will tell you that it's not going to rain. And so that's why that particular application of the prophecy was given through Elijah. But I was thinking about why this was such a big deal. And I was thinking about this particularly today being Father's Day. And I was thinking about this whole idea of this, uh, the influence that Ahab had on the nation. You know, the reason it was such a big deal that he embraced Baal worship and he built a temple and he moved everybody toward Baal worship is because he was the king He was the leader and he had influence and he was using his influence to influence people in the wrong direction. So that's an important thing. You know, something that really uh, makes me shudder when I think about walking with the Lord and serving the Lord, you know, I'm not only responsible for how I live before the Lord and I'm going to be accountable before the Lord, but I'm also responsible as a person about how my life will influence other people. So I've got to be careful. You know, Jesus said one time that if you cause one of these little ones, there's a couple scriptures, Matthew uh, mentions it, Luke represents it, uh, and it says, if you cause one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble and turn away from me, it would be better for you to put a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I just know that it's a sober thing to think about how we influence other people. Now, I know we've got some great dads out there that are listening here this morning on Father's Day, and I want to just encourage you that your influence, your love for the Lord, your faithfulness to serve the Lord in front of your kids is is making an incredible impact on their life. And so our influence matters. What we do with our influence really, really matters. So that's an important thing. And when I was growing up, you know, my dad and uh, uh, my family, we used to go to Phillips Landing in Laurel. Now, I don't know those of you that are from Western Sussex County, maybe you're new to the community, you don't know where Phillips Landing is, but there's a part of the Nanticoke River uh, that goes through Laurel, and there's a place called Phillips Landing. And some of you know where that is. But when I was a kid, my dad used to water ski, and, and uh, so we would go to Phillips Landing. And here's a picture of uh, Phillips Landing. And this is uh, many times I've been in a boat going through Phillips Landing here. And there's also a picnic area. There's a picnic area that you can see here. And we used to have picnics here uh, in this part of Phillips Landing. And I remember when I was a kid, There used to be uh, all these boats that would be uh, kind of anchored here at the shore. People would be having uh, picnics and then a boat would rip through this part of the of the river. You're supposed to slow down so you wouldn't create a lot of wake but sometimes boat would just rip through here and there would be a water skier there and the waves the waves from the the boat that was going by and the wake that was, was causing those waves would come on the shore and it would cause all those boats to bounce up and down. Now I want you to know that your life creates waves and you influence people that are close to you. And so when you think about Ahab, his sin was was serious because he was influencing all the people in Israel. So dads, I just want to encourage you today that, that your kids are watching you, and you're their greatest influencer, and God is with you, and he's helping you, and he can cause you to be an incredible example to your kids so your kids can see what a godly man looks like, what a real man looks like that's serving Jesus and loving Jesus. I don't know if you remember, there was a guy that uh, wrote a country song uh, not too long ago, actually it was a couple years ago, and it was called Rodney Atkins. It was the country singer. Here's a picture of Rodney Atkins. And he wrote a song called Watching You. And I read the lyrics to the song, and it's a, the first verse goes, "'Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have a toy till his nuggets were gone, a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath as fries went flying and his orange drink covered his lap.' Well, then my four year old said a four letter word that started with S and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where did you learn to talk like that? And then the chorus goes, The little boy said, he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We've got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Hey, influence is important. Your influence and my influence, the influence that I had uh, upon my kids when they were growing up was an important thing. The influence that I have as a person who follows Jesus is important. I remember when I was a little boy, I remember uh, seeing my dad on his knees praying and I would walk through a certain room on the way to go to meet the school bus and I would see my dad praying. So just remember how important your influence is. This song, by the way, has a happy ending. The father, when he heard his little boy say that four-letter word, uh, he, he, he went and he prayed, and his little boy saw him praying. And that night uh, in the song, it says that his father uh, saw the little boy praying, and he said, where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I learned it from you, Dad. So influence is important. Albert Schweitzer says that influence is not the main thing. Influence is the only thing. So Ahab was held accountable for his response, for his influence, so that's part of what the story's about and so Elijah comes and heres here's an interesting thing about the story. Elijah comes and he speaks to Ahab, and he challenges Ahab uh, regarding uh, Ahab leading uh, Israel astray into Baal worship, and then he prophesies that it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. Accepted my word and it didn't rain for three years. Now think about that prophecy. It's like sort of like uh, 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 sort of like Elijah standing up on a, in a boat and raising his hand as a prophet and say, "This boat is going down." Well, the boat that's going down, he's in. He's in the boat. He's in the land of Israel. So we see in the story how God takes care of Elijah in the midst of this famine in the midst of this drought. And it's an incredible part of the story. Let me read to you just a little bit of that part of the story where it says that that God took care of Elijah. And let me just uh, give you a little uh, hint on that. It says, uh, it says in, in chapter 17, verses two through six, then it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide at the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. The ravens are going to supply them, uh, uh, Elijah, with food there. Not the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not the Washington Redskins, but the Ravens so I was going to take care of him. But anyhow, it says, "You will drink from the brook, and I have decided the ra- I have directed the Ravens to supply you with food there." So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Karith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So we see in the story that when there, when the country, when the land. That, uh, that Elijah lived in was going through a hard time, that God specifically took care of Elijah. And our country is going through a hard time right now. I mean, there's no question about it. Our country is going through a very difficult time. But I'm here to tell you that the Lord is going to take care of you specifically. And in this story, it wasn't just God kind of taking care of a group of people. But if you read the story and kind of a scroll like a camera, the camera kind of focuses on Elijah and you see Elijah sitting by a brook and he's drinking from a brook and these ravens are bringing him food. By the way, it's interesting that the raven bird uh, has this uh, kind of like uh, kind of a checkered uh, history because raven birds were known to abandon their young. They weren't very, uh, they weren't very nurturing. And so God is using a very unlikely source to take care of Elijah, but God's specifically taking care of Elijah. I want you to know this. God just doesn't love the world. God just doesn't love Bayshore Community Church and the hundreds of people that are part of our church. God just doesn't love us generally. God loves us specifically. He cares about you. He cares about you individually. The Bible says the very hairs of your head are numbered. That When a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows about that sparrow. And he says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, how much more valuable are you than the sparrows? So God cares about you specifically. One of my favorite stories in the uh, New Testament is when uh, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb uh, in John chapter 20 uh, on, uh, on Easter Sunday, and she didn't know Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. She didn't understand that, and Jesus' body is missing, and, and uh, he, she's there, and she runs back, and she tells Peter and John, and they run, and they're looking in the tomb, and they can't seem to find Jesus. And then Peter and John, they leave and they go back. They're scratching their heads. And Mary Magdalene is left there by herself. And she's peering into the tomb and she sees two angels and, and uh, she's peering into the tomb. And then, and then the Bible says that she turns around and Jesus is standing there, but she didn't recognize Jesus. Hey, there's somebody here right now. Jesus is standing right beside you, and he loves you, he cares about you, and maybe you don't even recognize that the Lord is ministering to you and he cares about you. He's standing very near you, even though you feel like he's not near you. And, and Jesus is there, and she doesn't recognize Jesus, and she thinks it's the garden gardener, and she says, if you've taken my Lord away, tell me where you've taken him, and I will get him. And she's talking to Jesus, not knowing Jesus, it's Jesus. And she's crying profusely. Her mascara is running, her makeup is running, she's crying, she's all alone, she feels so isolated, she feels so left alone. And then the Bible says that Jesus says her name, he says Mary. And then Mary recognized him. Let me tell you something. You know the Lord knows your name. He loves you specifically. Do you think, just think about that. Here the, in the first Easter story, all the stuff that was happening with the Roman Empire and all the confusion in the city of Jerusalem and all the stuff that was happening and in God's big uh, historical agenda, salvation is being purchased. And here's a woman by herself crying. And the Bible says that Jesus comes to her to comfort her. And I want you to know that you as an individual matter to the Lord. Have you ever gone to the DMV and you got your number there and you're waiting to get your license or get your car inspected, get your number, and it's 5,023? And you sit there and you wait and you wait and you wait. You feel like a prisoner of war, don't you? You know, feel like, you know, you know, like they should put you in a striped suit and de you before you, you know, before you get your, get your license up there. You just feel so impersonal there. And they're doing the best they can. They got all these people to take care of. But, you know, it's not like that in the kingdom of God. You're not a number to the Lord, but you are specifically loved by the Lord. Just like Elijah was, sitting by that brook by himself, God was taking care of him specifically. And God's taking care of you specifically to. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows what you are going through. You know, every year I've been to a lot of uh, universities. I've got a uh, privilege. To, I was privileged to get a degree from the University of Delaware, uh, to get a graduate degree from Salisbury University, and I got a degree from Liberty University as well. And every, uh, every Christmas, I get, a le- I get a Christmas card. I get a Christmas card from Jerry Falwell Jr. It's a picture of his family. got a handsome family, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, and they're standing in front of uh, some big building at Liberty University, and it's inside, Merry Christmas, Jerry Falwell, and his name is signed there, Jerry Falwell Jr. And I just tell Karen, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it so wonderful that Jerry Falwell Jr. and his family sat down at the kitchen table, and they signed a Christmas card for you and I? Isn't that amazing? I know why they send in the car. They want me to join the alumni and send the money. Not a chance. I sent all the money I'm ever going to send to University of Delaware, Salisbury University. I mean, I'm getting hounded by these folks, and I love your school, but I gave at the office. Hey, listen, Jerry Falwell, Jr., has, that came from a computer. It came from a computer. You know, if I saw Jerry Falwell, Jr. in the, uh, in the mall, I wouldn't say, hey, Jerry, thank you for that. Christmas card, because I know he didn't send that Christmas card. God does not treat you that way because you're special. You're very special to him. He loves you. He loves Danny Tice. He knows everything about me. You know, I've got a little scar right here on my, on my forehead. And uh, right here, if you look real closely, just above my right eye, there's a scar there. And you could look at that scar, and you don't know how I got that scar. But when I was about five years old, My dad said, hey, Danny, you want to go watch a football game? And I was running to the car. I was so excited, and I tripped, and I hit the corner of the door there, and I cut my eye, and they had to put some stitches there, and I still have a scar there. You know, God knows how I got that scar. God knows about your scars. He knows about what you've experienced. He knows about what you've gone through. He loves you personally, and He cares about you. In these times, in these horrible times, Elijah was in a time when there was a drought. It wasn't raining. He was waiting for something important, and he just was trying to get through the day, and the Lord sent ravens to take care of them. They brought bread, and they brought meat. They brought it in the morning and the evening, and consistently, we don't know how long, God took care of Elijah there by that brook and Finally, the brook dried up, and he went to he went to the uh, uh, what's what's a place called Zarepath, which is in Sidon, which is near what we we would call Syria today. About uh, I think it's about uh, eighty to one hundred and twenty miles. He traveled north, and he went to this place. And the Lord said, "I'm going to have a widow there take care of you. I'm going to have a widow there take care of you." And the Bible says in chapter seventeen that there was this poor widow, and you know, in those days, if you were a widow you know, you were destitute. That was the, that was equivalent to being in abject poverty. And she was gathering sticks and Elijah, the prophet, he's been eating meat and bread from those ravens that have been bringing him food. And uh, boy, he's looking good. He's getting a little bit of a gut there. And he comes up to that little skinny widow and he says, can I have a, can I have a cup of water? And she was very honoring of him, and she went to get the cup of water, and as she's going to get the cup of the water, he said, "By the way, bring me a biscuit as well. Bring me a biscuit as well." And she turned around on her heels, and she said, "As surely as I live, I couldn't do that, because I got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to that, take that little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. I'm going to make a biscuit for me and my son, and we're going to eat that last biscuit, and then we're going to die." And Elijah says to her, give me that biscuit first and the flour and the oil will not run out. The Lord will take care of you. And so I don't know how long it was. It may have been a year, may have been a year and a half. She kept dipping in that flour jar. She kept pouring the oil and they were making bread. And the Lord took care of Elijah through this widow. He first used ravens, very unusual. These kind of like uh, not so nurturing birds. Then he uses a widow Someone that wasn't very, uh, so someone that wasn't very wealthy. So God's using these unusual sources to take care of Elijah. Hey, you know God is really your source. God uses different instruments to take care of you. It's not the job you work. It's not the real estate company. It's not the job you work at. It's not the, the company that you establish. It's not that that's taking care of you. That's merely the means that God uses to take care of you. It says in Philippians chapter four nineteen. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. My God will take care of you. So God uses different sources to take care of us. When I was in Bible college, I had certain jobs. God used the jobs to take care of me, but it was always God behind the job that took care of me. We have a tendency to worship the means. Our our job, our company, that's what's taking care of us. That's what's going to be our supplier, but Simply, it is God that uses certain things to take care of us. One of my favorite people is Ben Carson. Here's a picture of Ben Carson. Ben Carson is one of the most famous pediatric uh, neurosurgeons in the world. Back in 1987, he separated the binder twins, a very uh, famous surgery. And, uh, you know, I, I've been privileged to hear Ben Carson in person uh, once and uh, just really admire this man, incredible man. But if you went to Johns Hopkins University, there's not, a, there's not a, uh, like a, a frame somewhere where it, it shows the, it, where it shows the surgical gloves in a frame. The surgical gloves that Ben Carson wore, and there's not a little frame with these surgical gloves and a little... A plaque under it says, these gloves perform amazing surgery. These gloves are simply gloves that the hand of Ben Carson fit into. Your job, your company, whatever you've been relying on. Maybe during COVID-19, you've been seeing things kind of go down in your company a little bit. Maybe you're worried about, hey, at the bottom line, your job, your job and your company are only the surgical gloves. God is the one that supplies for you. So God uses ravens, then he uses a widow, later on he uses an angel. Different means, but the same God. Different means, but the same God. Hey, I love the part of the story where Elijah challenges that little skinny widow. And he says, you make me a biscuit first. You make me a biscuit first, and I'm going to take care of you. There's a principle there. And the principle is, is that we give to God, we trust God. Karen and I, when we lived in uh, Pensacola, Florida, going to Bible College, 1979 to 1981, uh, Karen worked for a dental uh, office. She was a dental assistant. I worked between semesters roofing uh, houses and doing sandbags for beaches and different things. And uh, we made $110, $110 every week. And you say, well, that was back in 1979, 1980. Let me just tell you, back then it wasn't a lot of money. And I remember we would take $11 every week out of our paycheck, and we would give it to the Lord, and we would take it to our church. We loved our church. Just the way you guys love Bayshore. We loved Liberty uh, Church in Pensacola, Florida. We wrote a check every week for $11, put in the offering plate. I'm here to tell you for three years while we lived there, we put $11 in the, in the offering plate every week, $11, $11, $11. And we never missed a bill. We always, our cars worked, and sometimes I went to pay for my school bill, and the bill was all paid for. God took care of us because when you put God first, you make him first. He shows you his faithfulness. That's a principle. That's a principle that's very, very important. And Elijah said to that woman, he said to that woman, hey, listen, hey, make me a, bread, a bit of bread first. And I thought about it. She didn't have anything she didn't have anything she was running on she was running on fumes she just hadn't didn't have anything and so you know i think sometimes we feel that emotionally we don't have anything to give where you know maybe you've been discouraged on covid-19 you're discouraged and i mean you're so down and you're just so discouraged and you don't have anything you're like that woman you're so empty like her flower jar was empty like her oil jug was empty you feel empty inside you feel like you can't do anything things are just so bad and you're so let me tell you something when you are empty it's important that you give when you are empty and you don't have anything when you're emotionally just kind of spent it's important that you encourage somebody that you love somebody that you reach out to somebody and so when you feel empty in order to get full you've got to start pouring your life out you got to start helping people and loving people when I first came to Pastor Bayshore back in 1981 my dad who's a pastor and by the way dad happy Father's Day Uh, my dad, who's a pastor, he helped me unload uh, my little boxes of books and move into the office here at the church, and and, uh, he was giving me some pastoral advice, and here's what he said. He said, if you ever get discouraged being in the ministry, how did he know? If you ever get discouraged in the ministry, he said, get out of your office, get in your car and go to the hospital and go down the hallway and go into rooms and start loving people and start encouraging people and start building people up, and you'll feel better. You know, after about three months, I was living in the hospital. I'm telling you, it was, like, hard. (laughs) It was really hard. I'm like, wow, but he's right. I'd go to the hospital. I'd visit a few people that I knew that was in there. Then I'd just randomly go into some hospital rooms and visit people, and the more I gave, the more I had. Proverbs says, if we refresh others, we ourselves will be refreshed. If we refresh others, we ourselves will be refreshed. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. So give when you're empty. You know what? It works physically as well. Uh, You know, if you ever feel like you don't have any energy, and you don't have you know any energy at all you know and you just feel so just wore out physically and you get up in the morning how many have ever got up in the morning instead of saying good morning Lord you say good Lord it's morning I mean you are just like stiff you don't feel like getting up and all that but here's what I've discovered when you don't feel like exercising you don't have any energy you start exercising And you start jogging or you start walking. Some mornings I go to the tennis club to play early in the morning before work. And man, I'm walking in there. I'm stiff and I don't feel like doing anything. And I'm so tired. And I start playing tennis. I start running around. And as I give away energy, I get energy back. And by the time I leave, I feel amazing. There's a principle. When you feel like you don't have anything to give, give it and you'll be blessed with what you need. So during COVID-19, let me tell you something. You are personal to God. He knows your name. He just doesn't love Bayshore. He just doesn't love the world. He just doesn't love, you know, his people generically. He loves you specifically. And he knows where you're sitting. And he knows that you're like Mary Magdalene, sitting and crying and feeling alone. And he knows your name and he loves you and he cares about you today. And you want to know that he's going to take care of you during this whole time. He may use different things. He may use different means, but he's going to put his hand in the glove that takes care of you. I just know that God's saying something to somebody this morning. And wherever you are, maybe you're sitting at your kitchen table. Maybe you're, you're sitting uh, you know, in your car. Maybe you're sitting in your living room. And some of you this week, you feel like you've got nothing. You've got nothing inside. You're completely empty. I'm telling you to rise up, begin to pour out of your empty flour jar, begin to pour out of your empty oil jug. And as you begin to give, God's going to replenish your heart, and he's going to replenish your energy, and he's going to replenish your hope. Because God loves you and he's with you. I love you guys. I'm so excited about what he has for you this week. And I'm going to pray with you. And then I'm going to turn this over to uh, to Nate and Jen Williams. They're going to be ministering to you at the end of this service. But let's pray together. Maybe you're in the living room. Would you raise your hands with me? If you're driving the car, don't raise your hands. Okay? But wherever you are, just raise your hands and let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, you are our supplier You are going to take care of us, even though our country is in a tailspin. Lord, like Elijah in a land that wasn't raining, you took care of him specifically, and you're going to take care of specific people this week that are hearing this message. We thank you for watching over us and caring for us, and we thank you for the incredible future, and we thank you that this week we're going to have more energy, more hope as we begin to pour out our life to help other people. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.